0: I want to make another recording while I'm out here walking. It's the January 24th date still. And it's about 3 24 or something like that in the afternoon. It is a beautiful, beautiful day. The sun's going down directly behind me and uh, it's not a cloud in the sky and it's probably 45 degrees. It's just beautiful. But I wanted to make a recording about my future bride, Laura. I've been uh, just thinking about her a few minutes here and was just praying and talking to the Lord about her and I am continually amazed when I realize how much God has changed my heart and how I feel and how I view her in my life him giving her to me the timing of it all the meaning of it all it is incredible I God has given me I've thought So many times I've I've had such a deep contentment of recent that I I almost sometimes wonder, Lord, you know, is that a good thing? Is it possible that it's good that I feel this content? Like, you know, I haven't bugged you about her in a while and, and, and all of that. And, you know, I think God's been teaching me this balance between being expectant for His blessings and His promises versus being obsessed or hyper-focused about them. I think when God gives you a promise of something that you, your heart really desires, that it's easy to focus, 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 focus on that. I think in the beginning, oh my goodness, I'm so uh, disappointed and, and saddened and embarrassed when I think of what my heart must have looked like before the Father beating in all of its anxiousness for this desire to be met through Laura. And although she is a promise from him, it is just so abundantly clear to me. I mean, like crystal clear, like this water I'm walking over right now, that God needed to spend time allowing me through his grace and through the help of the holy spirit to reposition Laura's importance in my heart. Oh, thank God. I have such a I have so much more of a mature, healthy desire for her than I ever have. And we're now talking about what to see. This is this is January. So we we are literally 1 month away from coming up on basically Two and a half years. So we have August, we have September, October, November, December, January, February. Next month is two and a half years. It's nothing compared to the seven years Jacob had to wait for Rachel. But Jacob also got to live around her, be around her, be in her household, all that, and, you know, all that stuff. But two and a half years is a long time. I mean, sometimes I think about this and I go... This is impossible. You know, you got no chance at all. When I think about it from the flesh, in the natural, you say to yourself, well, there's just no way this is ever going to happen. I mean, come on, man. Get back to reality. Back to life. Back to reality. I mean, so... And then I look at what God has done in my heart and how Laura has always been a good thing My desire for her has always been a good thing. Why? Because God is the one who brought her across my path. God is the one who reconnected me to her after I prayed about it. God is the one who, after I was going to quit, gave me a dream to inspire me to stick, stick to it. God is the one who, you know, just told me that one day flat out, have faith enough to ask me specifically for her. And there's just too many evidences. And so I've always known that her, in my life, is going to be a good thing. My desire for her, my love for her, um, my affection for her will all be a good, good thing. The problem is, good things can become perverted. And there is no doubt in my mind. So, anyhow, as I think about how good God is. I think about how I rebelled against his idea and how I would say, Lord, why not now? And God, why why did you give me this desire? Why did you bring her across my path and then make me wait so long? It seems like the farther down this road I get, the more profound it is. When I realize how good God is for making me wait, And how he has been repositioning through time and waiting Laura's position in my heart. God, I have said over and over, Lord, please never give me anything or anybody that will ever come before you or take your spot in the center of my heart. I have begged the Lord for that. And so I think God is jealous for me. I'm jealous for him. He's jealous for all of us. That's the way God wants it, and so he uses waiting in time. And I'm so thankful because I think to myself, had God never showed her to me, this is what is so amazing. Someone might say, man, it would have been a lot less painful for God to just, you know, bring her in your life within a week or two of you being ready. And while that means, that seems to make sense in the natural, that would be an absolute loss spiritually because I think to myself, how much I have learned knowing that she's the one and having to wait it's like a dog you know if you just give a dog a treat every time you say come they're never going to learn obedience they never learn to wait so you intentionally show them the treat you put it on the ground and you say now wait and that's how you teach them who the boss is and you teach them obedience and it's more than just so that they won't you know, run after the treat before they're supposed to, or have instant gratification. There's all kinds of reasons that you teach a dog obedience. When you need them to stay, you need them to stay. And so I'm just so thankful. I'm just, you know, just to learn these lessons. It's incredible. And, you know, maybe I'm not done yet, but I do feel like I feel like God's been whispering in my ear and I've probably been wrong about this before and it could be that God was just trying to encourage me to say keep going but I do feel like it's very probable based upon um, God's starting to show me this number 422 which says but you are about to enter the promised land the good land that it's possible that these things are going to happen soon and I think to myself man you know maybe God looks down and says the timing is right that I've waited long I've obeyed him and the things he's asked me to do and I've been willing to to be still so hard it's been so hard sometimes to wait the temptations and I tell you what it doesn't do good you know sometimes to go to Starbucks and see single women coming and going or couples together and you're thinking why not me and when and could that be her and is she coming next and it just keeps you anxious and it keeps you focused on the desire of your heart rather than God So, he has been and continues to be the ultimate desire of my heart. And uh, I feel like I have such a greater level of maturity to handle a relationship with a good, good, good woman that God is going to provide for me. I will be able to love her out of the overflow of what God has given to me in love. And I have no need to go to her, gimme, gimme, gimme you know and i think that's what we all have a tendency to do in relationships man that when your pilot light's not being lit and by the father you run to anything and everything you can something to make you feel good i am so glad by god's mercy that i've been able to wait and wait and wait way beyond what i ever thought so i was just kind of just kind of perplexed about this amazing contentment how you can have such contentment. And it's only because I stay focused on the Father. Man, I'm telling you, if I could ever teach somebody the key, and it's, it seems like it's such a hard thing to learn because it so totally goes against common sense and against human understanding. Human understanding says, if you got a problem, put your eyes on the problem and possible solutions. The walk of Christ and faith in God It says, put your eyes on God and trust Him to solve it. Trust Him to provide. And I have to say, the only way I've been able to make it this long and the only way I'll be able to make it until however long I need to make it in everything, not only just waiting for Laura, but for my children and for ministry fruit will be by keeping my eyes daily focused upon the Lord. When I feel anxious, I've run to Him. Lord God, help me, strengthen me. Father, encourage me, refresh my spirit, Lord. And by me constantly doing that, it's amazing because what that has done is, for five years now, I've been being trained on how to totally depend upon Father and how to have a relationship with Him. God has used all these different circumstances. The divorce battle has made me more strong in the Lord than anything that's ever happened to me. Just like 2 Samuel chapter 3, when the Bible says that the house of uh, David became stronger and stronger and the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. It was talking about the war lasting a long time between both houses. God has used all of this, so thanks be to God for helping me to keep my eyes on Him. He is so good. I just made a recording about... Feeling like the Lord's telling me I'm getting ready to enter into the promised land. I'm just coming off the trail. I walk down the parking lot and the first number I see 422 on the back of an Acura MDX or RDX after I just got done talking about how God has been showing me this number 422. I believe to tell me I'm about to enter the promised land. That is so kind of God. I am so thankful. And again, I believe that <clears throat> one of the reasons why he's showing me so much is because it is making me feel more calm. You know, when the Lord tells you He's going to do something, instead of it just being a surprise, it comes upon you all of a sudden. You didn't have any chance to prepare. God prepared the Israelites with words over and over and over again that they'd be walking into the promised land. And so I feel like that's probably what God is doing with me too. Not only that, but God gets more glory when He tells of things in advance, then you know that when it happens, it's him, him that did it. Otherwise, people, you know, can just say, oh, that's nice. You finally got to, I think I made a recording about this the other day, but that's so cool. 4.22, I think God is telling me I'm about to enter the promised land. Praise the Lord. I've been sitting here in my chair for a few minutes just in deep, 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 quiet thought. I have Charles Stanley's book open before me, but my thoughts have been focused on just how indescribable it is what God has been doing in my heart, and how He's taught me so many things. And I was thinking about a video I'm going to make this morning about letting people know what's going on, and I'm sitting here looking at my Bible laying open on the table in front of me, and I started to think about how there's only two books that I've ever felt an affection for that I've actually held to my breast, and that is the Word of God many times... And my book that I wrote, that the Holy Spirit wrote, and more so my Bible, obviously, but I was just thinking about the affection that I have for God's Word, and as I was looking upon God's Word, I felt that emotion uh, happen, and my eyes began to get a little wet, and I was just thinking about, how is that possible, that you can feel that way about a book of words, and it is because it is the living Word, and it is by the Spirit of God. These are not just words... It's not what they say, it's what they represent. It's who they are. These words are the living, breathing words of my God. They are His message to me about how to know Him and to be reconciled to Him. And to live in closeness with Him. It is a the ultimate love letter. And um, so I was thinking about that. And then my thoughts flipped over to this quick thought that I wanted to capture. And that is that in in this moment, I am having this thought and and really i believe this is a thought of god i believe this is a truth this is a very deep unsearchable thing a jeremiah 33 3 call unto me and i will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know and what i believe which is so completely different from what i used to believe is that the devil is actually a gigantic blessing to christians Somebody might first hear this and go, What in the world are you saying? And my understanding of God and His sovereignty has changed so much in the last few months as I've been deeply studying it that I'm understanding, understanding as in knowing through experience, as in knowing through touching the stove myself, not being told it's hot, knowing it through experience. I'm beginning to know of God's sovereignty and how unbelievably in control he is of everything my eyes i would say were fully open to this when i saw how six times in the book of first samuel the bible goes out of its way to point out an evil spirit from the lord an evil spirit from god comes upon saul and when you Come up the cliff and look at the whole story instead of getting trapped in a single verse. What you see is God using an evil spirit in the life of a man who's been disobedient to him to now be a tool of righteousness in his hand against his beloved David. That devil was one of God's greatest blessings to David. The promise of That God had given the anointing of him of the kingdom is not God's greatest blessing to him. All the riches, the position, the power, no. Those would have been God's curse to David without the preparation. The greatest gift was the foundation, the preparation, the building up, the maturing, the character, the strengthening. And God uses Satan in his life strengthen him if you pull satan out of that picture and you pull that evil spirit out of that story what you would most likely have is a man who gained followers who began to depend upon himself and who began to run and operate out of his own pride and he would ultimately end in disaster but because god chose him god equips him and so god uses the devil the kingdom of satan to torment David, to to be an antagonistic force against David, a child of God, such that the child of God learns and maintains total dependence on God. This is so completely different than how most Christians see the devil. I think if given the opportunity to really meditate on it, most Christians would conclude that we've been trapped down here in a cage with a lion. And it is only by luck that we survive or by hiding around the, the, the corner, holding onto the bars, praying as hard and as fast as we can and hope that we grit our teeth and hope that we make it. And hope that the animal eats somebody else before he eats us. Because the Bible warns and says that be on your guard, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. Those are the words of God. Those are not the words of a man. So God is warning you of a lion that he created. What is the point? God is warning you of a lion that he not only created, but that he is in complete control over. And so what you begin to see is that God being the ultimate hero in this story. You know, you think about Hollywood and every hero in every great story, there has to be a hero and there has to be a dragon, an enemy. The hero has to slay the dragon. The hero is the protagonist, the dragon is the antagonist. And if you were to remove the antagonist, you have nothing but a self-centered, prideful, uneventful, uninteresting, tragicless, characterless, endurance-less, perseverance-less, less story. You have boring. Our story Largely comes out of what we see in the creation story. Since the beginning of creation. There has been an antagonist. There has been a lion in the cage from day one. And I am convinced as I've grown to know the heart of my father. That the, heart, the father delights in a remnant. I am struck by the implications of Romans 9, where Paul says, how do we not know that God has not carefully crafted the objects of His wrath for destruction to make known His mercy to the objects of those He's going to be merciful on? And so, I'm concluding that He has done this. And that God is worshipped. God is sought God is adored, God is obsessed about, God is delighted in, God is trusted in, God is sought after far more as a result of antagonistic forces than he would be if you remove the antagonistic forces. I think this is unbelievably deep what God is trying to help me understand. I do not believe that God will overcome a human's will. I heard Charles Stanley mention this and I thought, that's what I believe. I've often taught that I do not believe that God in Scripture will overpower a human's will. Now, he may in in, in the interim to engage you in a relationship, but I do not see any evidence in Scripture that at any time God has made you a spiritual robot of righteousness and that you have lost your capacity to turn from him. God does not overrule your free will. He allows you to choose by your own will to participate in his will. If anyone chooses to do God's will, that's God himself saying in John 7:17. 7, and then I think of 2 Corinthians 8:11. Now finish the work which you began so that your eager willingness to do it, your will, your willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. There it is, our will in action to an accomplish a work. And here God is encouraging us to finish that which we've willed to do. In other words, he hasn't so overtaken our will that he's going to accomplish it through us no matter what. Uh, it is God, uh, Second uh, Philippians uh, 2.13, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure but you still have to participate in it he gives you the desire the will to do it but you still have to complete it second corinthians, second corinthians 11 you still have to participate so god does not in my understanding of scripture and of god he does not overpower your will If he sees that you are really trying to obey him and you're sincerely trying to trust him, God will intervene through circumstances to refocus your will, to redirect your will, to turn you around without a doubt. But if you want to turn right back around and go back to doing what you're doing, if I want to go right back to some of my old sins or some of my old way of thinking, God's not going to stop me from doing that. Now, I believe God will encourage me and he'll bring circumstances in my life that will say, Hey, the road's out, son. Turn around. I've told you this is the way to go. And so since God gives us this free will and since we have this sin nature that is in conflict with our spirit life and we're constantly needing to choose the spirit so that we lead to to life rather than those who live by the sin nature leads to death we have a choice, a choosing. We're never completely set free from the sin nature I don't believe in this body. And so... We are set free from slavery to it. But at any point in time, we could choose to go back and give in to the lust. I could choose to put my Bibles down right now and say, I'm going to go sit at Starbucks and I'm going to try to find a girlfriend and I'm going to talk her into having premarital sex with me because it feels good and I enjoy it and that's what I want to do and that's will, that will make me happy and I bet it wouldn't take me more than a week to find a willing participant. And then I could just go down that road. That would be me engaging and walking according to the sin nature. Okay. So, since there is this issue of free will, what device or tool can God use to motivate a person to live according to the Spirit? Satan. Absolutely Satan. It's the essence of the the argument that Satan even makes to God about Job. Hey, listen, the only reason he obeys you is because you have so heavy-handedly blessed this man. But remove your hand from him. Strike his body. Take his family. Take his money. And he will curse you. There's an antagonistic force that ends up being a tool in God's hand for multiple purposes. I see the devil is used to punish those who are deliberately willfully disobedient, to deceive those who've chosen the path of mistrust and ungodliness and have willfully rebelled against God. But in the life of a Christian, I'm starting to recognize that we are not stuck in a cage down here with this ravenous lion who we are at his mercy but that the ravenous lion placed in the cage with us is an absolute, divine, sovereign act of God's love creating an antagonist that drives us to the hero. The antagonist, the antagonism of Satan creates in us a deep motivation to run to the shelter of the Most High God. And is that not what the Word says? That the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to Him and are saved. Psalm one. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 But the Lord is faithful. and He will strengthen and protect you against the evil one. Yeah, He's using the evil one on your behalf. I think to myself... What I now know is to say this. I have found myself so many times thanking God for the devil. I mean, it's amazing. I have so many times thanked God for the devil in my life. Not in a sarcastic, unknowingly way, but in a very deep spiritual wisdom way, understanding that God has allowed that devil reign in my life to teach me how to turn from sin and motivate me to walk away from the ways of foolishness and evil and to run and dwell in the shelter of the Most High. The devil is used to create a good fear. A fear of being punished by God. A fear of getting off the path of righteousness. A fear of having to be separated from God and spend all of eternity with the devil and his angels in hell. And so that causes me, that fear in the face of me still having free will motivates me. And by self-choice, by my own free will, I choose to run to the safety of my daddy. I mean, I think about if there were no dangers to a young child. If there were no threats from animals, if there were no threats from bigger kids on the ballpark, if there were no threats from scary scenes in movies, would a child ever run to their father? Oh daddy, daddy, daddy. No, it's a fear that causes a child to run to his parent. And it's a desire for protection. Nobody would say, you idiot son, why did you run to me? Don't be afraid of that dog. Don't, why did you run to me? No, you may try to teach the child that you're having a fear that's false, but you inside delight and you are a liar, and you are deceived, and you are evil if you don't feel the delight of a child who runs to you for protection. Who says, Dad, I'm afraid. Dad, this is happening. They run to you as a shelter. Where did that motivation come from? Where did that attribute of human beings come from? That's a character right out of the book of Christ. That's a that's a character of uh, Matthew 18, 3-4. I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Total dependence upon God. And God uses the devil. Now, if you are being obedient, you have nothing to be afraid of. Are you going to be irritated? Are you going to be harassed? Absolutely. I think of all the times that God has shown me six, 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 hundreds of times, over 200 times easily throughout the last two years or so warning me. And I thank God, I used to not wanting to see him, I dread seeing him, because I knew something bad was coming. And I began to realize, wait a second, here is God who's in control of that devil, warning me, what's the motivation? What's God trying to tell me in that moment with those 666's? Six, six, Run to me, son, give it to me, son, cast all your anxieties on me, son, trust in me, son, have faith in me, son, get in my word, son. Every single time those things happen, I run to God. That in itself is a small little micro level of what God is doing on a global scale with Satan. God uses the devil to be the instrument of blessing in the hands of his children. Do not despise discipline. Well, God uses the the devil for disciplining. He does use the devil for his dirty work. He made the devil. The devil made his choice and so God gets to make his choice. I think to myself how different the world would be if God just pulled the devil out. People would say, Oh, well, it would be all great and wonderful. Oh, no, it wouldn't, because there still is the fall. Man still has a sin nature, and man is still highly focused on self. So maybe it wouldn't be that people run around chopping their heads off, but they would still be so busy and focused on self and accomplishing and busybody and running here and chasing shiny objects that the purpose for our creation would be null and void. Knowing that God created us for His pleasure and to be in relationship with Him and to walk with us, it defeats the purpose. so God allows you talk about romans 828 God makes this creation, gives them free will. They're called angels, then He makes us. He gives us free will. The angel and a third end up rebelling against God. Sure enough, you want what you got, you get it. It kicks them down to earth. Uh, they d- use their free will to try to exercise leverage against the human that He created getting them to exercise their free will to rebel against God, and God says, no problem, do what you must. Never at one point does he say, that's it, I'm going to reverse my plan, I'm going to no longer give man free will, I created him to love me, and I'm going to make him love me. No, he uses that very rebellion to create a remnant for himself which choose to love him in the face of evil, They choose to love Him in the face of sacrifice. They choose to love Him in the face of painful persecution, painful obedience. And instead of choosing the temporary pleasures and self-fulfillment, somehow or another there's this group of people empowered by His grace, motivated by the antagonistic forces in their life to run to God, surrender everything to Him, live their life for Him, that is Is incredible. And that is how God is fulfilling his purpose in creating a remnant for himself, a people group who will love him and worship him without reversing or afflicting or changing or nullifying man's free will. He simply puts an antagonistic in the cage. I remember hearing a story about a fish that would be shipped from one coast to the other and it kept dying. By the time it would get to the to the next coast in these tanks, it would be dead. And so what they did is they found the natural enemy to that particular fish. And they put one of those in the cage with, with this other fish. And what they discovered is the fish would be surviving when they arrived at their destination. They spent their whole time fleeing from that antagonistic fish. It kept them alive. They had a reason to live. I think that's such a brilliant little metaphor for... We have a a lion in the the cage. And uh, yeah, if you do not run to your father, you will be devoured. You'll miss God's best. You'll suffer relentlessly. You'll be deceived. You'll be thinking that your life is going great. And in the end, you'll find out it counts for nothing. You'll be devoured by that lion in the end. You say, oh, I was in the cage my whole life. He never ate me. And at the last day, he devours you. And you become a, 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 a steaming pile of lion dung. In your whole life, you'll like, go, hey, I'm great. I'm good. I'm good. Nothing's going wrong with me. I guess I could keep going with this message. But to me, this is such a powerful understanding that God I, I, I you do not a Christian is not to live in this fear of oh my goodness what if the devil gets me oh my goodness the devil made this the devil's doing this the devil's causing this he's behind every rock he's gonna get us he's gonna hurt us I mean I see so much of that in the Christian faith and I used to hear people say you're focusing too much on the devil and I'd say oh no but you know if you don't know the devil's ways you're in trouble that's true you need to know his ways but it isn't simply so that you can develop a good strategy against him the winning strategy is you just keep running to the father you get on your knees oh god protect me lord oh god i love you oh and you obey the words you don't resist that evil person you don't try to pursue god and money you don't try to serve god and money you know you worship god in spirit and in truth you're willing to lose your life so you can find it You know, you begin to obey the teachings of Christ. You begin to run to Him, and that's how you get shelter and provision and protection from God. Man, what a blessing the devil is. What a blessing, because I'm so glad that I'm choosing to love God out of my own free will, and I'm so glad that in His grace, He's given me this antagonistic force in my life that motivated me beyond my current wisdom. Meaning, although I lived as a fool... God gave me this antagonistic force that would ultimately drive me to knowledge and to wisdom and to seeking Him. Oh God, I thank you for that. You are truly who can fathom. When when God says His ways are higher than our ways, oh my goodness, are His ways higher than our ways. I mean, I can't... I guess the final point is that Final thought I want to add is that I think about all the times that people are taught, and we think that the devil is the antithesis of God, that God's enemy is the devil. Man, what a what a um a midget view of truth. What a perverted, misunderstood, foolish idea that is. God made the devil. The devil is a puppet in the hands of God. The devil can't do anything that God doesn't say. The devil's like a, a devilish drill sergeant that God is using to whip His elect into shape and to discipline them and to motivate them. What a brilliant, brilliant God we have! What an amazing way! I mean, who could who could think of this? I mean, it's easy for me to go, "Well, I'm learning this and I'm realizing it and I'm having understanding." But who could who could originally think of something like this? And before it ever even happened, God knew this was going to happen, and God allowed this. I mean who can who can get their brain wrapped around that? So the takeaway is I can now rest when I have these when I have this knowledge as a Christian, if I believe that God is completely in control of the devil and that he uses the devil as a blessing in my life, wow, does that change how I view the devil? I think of martin luther throwing his can of ink at the devil and i think in that moment martin luther might have thought wow i mean any minute now i can be taken out by the devil or any minute now um you know if god doesn't come through for me um i can be destroyed and all this meanwhile god simply using the devil to keep him motivated to finish the work to hide in the shelter of the most high i think of uh perpetua and she said that she saw a ladder of people climbing to heaven and She had an image of this dragon trying to pull people back down. Well, of course, that antagonistic force, that dream motivated her to continue on. That dream was motivation. It was not a sign that she was not going to be able to climb the ladder. That dream provided motivation for her to stay the course. God gave her that dream. To motivate her to fight against that antagonistic force. And to continue to climb the ladder to God. Not because there was ever any chance of her being drugged down or people not. Whoever wants to climb up is going to climb up. If they they are sincere and they are obedient, there is no other force on earth besides God's spirit that can overpower God's ability and God's grace to get a person to heaven. But you have to participate And so instead of God just making her doing it, what did he do? He acted in her to will and to act according to his good pleasure. She didn't have to do that. She could have said, you know what, dad, you're right. I need to stay here for you, stay here for my son. Her dad begged her to renounce. You can always privately worship God. Renounce, renounce God publicly. What does Jesus say in Matthew 10, 32? Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in Heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in Heaven. I think the only reason Peter gets a pass is because God told him in advance he would do it. God was making an object lesson out of him and Peter ultimately repented of it before it was too late. Peter didn't stay in rejection anyhow. Interesting stuff. I uh I just had a meeting with a guy who his name is Jason and I'm he's from my old Bible study and uh he's we haven't connected up in a long time and I was not avoiding him, but I wasn't reaching out to him because, you know, he was friends with one of the guys who kind of turned against me in the group, and I just uh, wanted to be cautious. But I always really liked this guy, but I I just met with him, and after we got through the small talk, he began to explain to me that he's started to focus more and more on God's law. As it turns out, he's been starting to study a lot of Jewish tradition and a lot of law, and he's bringing up... You know, type of foods eating and all that stuff. And I thought, oh, brother, this is a guy who is still searching. He's searching for that missing piece to help him to walk in purity, to help him experience God. And I cautioned him. I, and we had some talks. I said, look, man, if you want to study God's law, that's awesome. We are to uphold the law, but not the ceremonial law and the external law. And I can tell the guy has been online on YouTube. He's one of those guys who spends all this time on YouTube listening to all this stuff. And you can get so distracted. You you can be pulled into all these different directions. I mean, the devil is just out there. And if you don't have decent discernment, if you don't have good understanding, you will be sucked under. Oh, it's a 212. Thank you, Lord. And, uh... Anyhow, that's just—it was just—it was a little disappointing for me to uh, have that. I'm—I could tell he was reaching out to me because he wanted to know my opinion. He's like, you know, what do you think about that, Mike? And I, I respected the fact that he asked me for that, but it just goes to show you that if you're not being pure in heart and obeying God, you will call yourself a Christian. But because the joy will be missing, the peace and the contentment you will continue to look for things that that scratch that itching itch. Maybe you're not looking to the whiskey bottle anymore or to the pain pills, but now you're looking for these kind of um, offshoot studies in the Word of God, mysterious things, uh, uh, interesting things. I don't even know how to describe it, but you'll be enticed and sucked into focusing on things that do not help you to accomplish God's will in your life. sad to watch. I I did warn him though. I did warn him about it. It's 906 on January 26, 2014. I'm reading and waiting on God about God's promises. And um he's talking about being assured of God's faithfulness. And that there's these places in God's word which talk about how he comes through on all of his promises. So I start reading the first three scriptures and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I think I've read those before." And I get to these I'm sorry, actually the first two, and then I get to the second two. The Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, First Kings 8.20. I'm like, wow, that's the same scripture that God points me to with the number 8.22. Then I read the next one. Not one word has failed of all his good promises, First Kings 8.56. I'm like, wow, that's the exact verse God directs me to with 8.55. <laughs> and they're always together. It's amazing. I made a recording on like the 23rd of December. I just sent it to a friend of mine this morning. I can't find it because I'm making a recording. It was like the 23rd of December where I said, I've seen 822 four times and 855. So for the last several months, God's been showing me these two numbers together and i wrote at the bottom this is truly awesome both of the promises the lord has been showing me for the last few months with 822 and 855 are right here so that was fantastic to read and uh, i've seen god do this several times where he's confirmed things he speaks to me personally through a book i'll read and i'll go there's no way a person could have ever known you know that i was being directed god himself that's what's so important about this is that I didn't get directed to those promises by reading a book. God has directed me to those promises. I've I've read several scriptures in the same context of how God uses them in my life in books before and God, isn't that awesome that God directed me via the Holy Spirit to that promise? Then he talks about the limited promises and general promises. A general promise is something that's available to you know everybody the idea that everybody can ask and it'll be given everybody can seek and it'll find everybody will knock and it'll be open that's a general promise then there's limited promises um such that we're talking about um they're given to a specific person a group or a nation usually during an indefinable period of time like for example when abraham and sarah are told about them having a baby that is a limited promise you cannot apply that promise to you He says, however, there is an exception. It could be that you are reading these verses. as As you're reading these verses, the Spirit of God speaks to your heart in a strong and unmistakable way. I am going to give you a child as I did for Sarah. There is a tremendous difference between the Lord announcing what He will do in your life and you simply finding this verse and appropriating it as a promise. Man, I tell you, I read this. It, he goes on, he says, that is why it is absolutely essential that you learn how to listen to the Father and discern when His Spirit is speaking to you. In these cases, you know for certain that it's not just your imagination interpreting your circumstances in a manner that caters to your desires. Rather, you have discernment. You understand when the Spirit of God is speaking to you, revealing a biblical principle you can live by and making known His plans for your life. This is the essence of God showing Michael Chriswell these numbers. God has used this method, direct me, specifically to promises in His Word or directions in His Word that are specific to me. Sometimes the context is different in the time He wrote it, obviously, but the Holy Spirit will give me this customized understanding of how that verse is being spoken specifically to me, the living Word, for my situation and my time. And I've I've told people often that I have a very strong faith in God, but not in things that I want to do. I don't have faith in faith I have faith in God. And the things that he's asking me to believe him for are things that God told me. I think, man, I've been trying to tell people this for the last two, three years, that you cannot claim the promises of God without obeying God's word and and the conditions. He says people often claim uh, God's promises and God's verses without obeying God's conditions, and then they wonder why the Lord does not answer them. Hence the reason why God has been showing me 801-722-622-155. These are all verses that talk about the need for me to obey Him, that things will go well with me. So, I don't know, it's just so exciting to read. and, And, you know, the book from a man again who I don't know, and God has dealt with him in the exact same way. He makes the purpose, the point, it says this is a since God's ways never change we can count on him to work in a similar manner in our lives so in other words when we see him working in the scriptures in certain ways or in the lives of other people and that's my exact point i see god working the same way in charles stanley's life that he has in mine it's just so wonderful so wonderful i am praising the father so many awesome things are happening right now with people God is using uh, this little old story that he's put in me and him, and uh, he's just impacting people, and I'm just praising God, praising God. Uh, And it's not just me, but God is answering my prayers. I just received an email from a friend who I've been praying for, for quite some time, a new friend of the last few months. And she wrote back uh, saying, I know God has a great plan for me. He is changing my heart. Things I used to desire like this strange idea of being famous or to have to have people think I'm the greatest, I now look at that and think how fleeting or silly that is. I also look at money and power as not something to obtain, but a privilege to be used wisely to help others. I used to think too highly of myself, and now I see that God's work is what is eternal and noteworthy. I always knew that, but now I believe it to be true. I used to think that life was going to be a fairy tale, but now I realize that the only true fantasy in life is heaven. He offers the only honest, happy ending, and I should never look for a prince charming, but a prince of the Most High God who has learned how to love from the author of real love. How I wish I had time to capture the thoughts that God brings on such things. I used to doubt that God is still raising godly men who would be a kind, gentle husband, but I believe God has someone for me, and if not, I believe God will fill the void. God has revealed many nuggets of wisdom and dispelled many myths throughout the years. Even things I just did not know were there. Well, I wish I had more time, but you must go must, must go for now. Blessings to you today. This woman, I have had to speak into her heart into some very direct ways and push in on some of her current thinking. And it was uncomfortable. And for the first few meetings that we would meet, she would say, you know, she would admit to me the last time that I get mad every time I leave meeting with you. But I knew from like the first or second meeting that I met with this lady that this was a woman who God wanted to deal with. This is a woman who God wanted to change some things in, and that she was not a dog. She was not a false disciple. She was somebody who's just been off the trail and she's been diverted away from God's plan through some deception, some distraction. And. I just began, I just kept pouring in her and just honoring her and I'd push and then I'd let back and I'd push and I'd let, let back and encouraging her. And then she got to the point where she would thank me. And of recent, of the last few weeks, all of her texts have been about how she thanks God for bringing me into her life and she thanks God for my friendship. It's incredible that so many people will challenge my approach on being hard and fixed on the truth and helping people see that truth is black and white. And if you'll align yourself with God's black and white, He will align you with sheer delight. That's a new line. I should write that down because that is exactly what happens. If you align yourself with God's ways, God aligns His heart with with your heart. You begin to think, act, feel, and experience as God does. Not on the level of omniscient creator, but on the level of obedient child heir. Of God and I see this fruit and I am so thankful I just praise God I've been praying for her and praying for her and there is no greater joy in all of the world nothing not a husband not a wife not children in your home not nothing compares to God taking what he's put in your heart and what has been built through pressure testing patience, obedience. He redeems the mess, turns it into a blessing, and then uses it to bless other people and to change their hearts. This is why I live. This is why I exist. And I'm so absolutely blessed. Occasionally, God most of the time does not seem to allow me to be conscious of how He's using me in the lives of other people. But occasionally I get to see a small glimpse of what God is doing, and I think that now He knows I'm able to handle it because I I realize where it all comes from and it has nothing to do with anything that is in me. That is an absolute key for Christians to understand coming out of the dark and into the light and out of a valley of humility and into the land of prosperity is that nothing in us is good, nothing except for Jesus Christ. So as soon as God declares a good work done on behalf on our behalf it is not because of something that was in us and people of course can see you and touch you and feel you so they praise you but what they what you have got to understand is that god is the one who has done all of the work god only thing i did was signed up for desire i said god i desire you i want your best for my life I'm, i'm willing to surrender and give you everything And then the father places his grace in my heart, guides and directs my steps and does all these unbelievable things where he guides me and he directs me and he shows me, no, Michael, your thinking's not right on that. Or Michael, this is exactly what I want to do for you. And he guides and directs and confirms and rebukes and instructs and exhorts and encourages. He does all these amazing things. So how could a person then now step out of that circle and say, look at what I have done. I mean, how absolutely ridiculous would that be to take credit for something that was done through a tool that was given to me that never belonged to me. Anything good in me that people are starting to praise and I'm receiving praise on a daily basis from people, I thank God for that because... The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that men see your good deeds and they praise your Father in heaven. So I thank God that people are praising, but I'll never forget that it has nothing to do with me. And this is not being said in false humility. This is being said through years of having to be crushed to understand God's ways in God's heart and to be humbled. This text I just read is a result of me praying into this woman's heart. Praying that God would move speaking his truth into her and god is showing up i mean this is the christian life this is what it's all about and you know there would be people who would hear this and and say oh i just you know i'm glad that's working for you but i just don't have that desire that's the problem you're still focused on you god has never given you that energy to love and serve other people in the unique way he's given you because you're still stuck on you when you are totally consumed and self-focused and inward-directed and it's all about you and you've never fully surrendered to God to let Him put new wine in you, god the principle's there. God's not going to pour new wine into an old wineskin. I mean, this is a new meaning right now. This is a new meaning I'm finding right now as I believe the Holy Spirit is giving me utterance on that passage, Mark 2.22 or Luke 5.35. It's both and. Jesus teaches and no one pours new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the skins will be ruined. No, a man pours new wine into new wine skins. I have now I'm right now seeing this passage applies to something else I never thought about. God is the creator of new wine. God does not pour His wine, which is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, into the old wineskins of old, beat-down religion, legalistic, pharisaical, law-abiders, or another old, that's an old wineskin, another old wineskin is the old us, our old nature, paganism, unbelief. God does not pour His new wine into old wineskins, And so you see all these Christians who are trying to pour the wine of Christ into their old wineskin. And guess what ends up happening? The wine runs out and the skins are left ruined. Ruined. You can't do it. The old wineskin is the old nature. In this instance, God, thank you for teaching me this and and showing this to me. But an old wineskin in the scenario that God has just helped me to understand would be an unsurrendered life. If you're to be the vessel of God's spirit, why would God pour his vessel, pour his spirit into a vessel that's going to go be about its own business? Why would he pour this holy, beautiful, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-comforting, all-encompassing wine called the Holy Spirit into a vessel that has all kinds of holes or dirt or nastiness in it? That vessel has to first come into agreement with God. I am rotten. I am dirty. I have holes in me. Fix me up. And then that person must live in the new wineskin that God gives you in your heart from the Spirit. You can't go live this half-hearted, unsurrendered life and expect the Spirit of God to remain in you. Wow, what a powerful, powerful scenario God just showed me. The, the key to that is Surrender. If you want the fullness of the wine, if you want the fullness of the new wine, you have to get rid of the old wineskin. skin. The old wine skin is, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to be the one to carry this. I'm going to be the one to worry. I'm going to be the one to choose. I'm going to be the one to desire. I'm going to be the one to say. I'm going to be the one to, to go and to stop. No, that's old wineskin. skin. If you sacrifice that and burn that old wineskin skin on the altar of sacrifice, full surrender to God, God gives you a new wine skin praise God and he pours new wine in and you are never ever ever the same you are never the same I don't know that I could say anything else to add to this but I just praise God I praise God new wine skin new wine thank you Lord